0: Welcome back to the Synaptic Tales Podcasts with your host Emma Hancocks, TVM Technical Vet and Mark Lowry, RCVS and European Specialist in Veterinary Neurology and Co-Director of Movement Referrals. Hi Mark, how are you today?
1: Well I'm a bit sad today. Why are you sad? This is the last podcast.
0: It's the last in the SMART series but hopefully it's not going to be our last one so...
1: That's good to hear.
0: That's if you're back.
1: Oh, well, I'll happily come back, but it's whether our listeners will come back to us.
0: That's true. So hopefully by now, all our listeners will know this has been a series of podcasts dedicated to the smart approach to epilepsy, which was TVM's new guide for first opinion practitioners. Over the last four episodes, we've chatted through various aspects of how to manage our epileptic patients. This episode, as Mark said, is the last in that smart approach, but don't fear. If Mark will have us, we, are, we hope to come back and continue our discussions in the future. If you are new to the podcast and haven't listened to the earlier episode, I do encourage you to pause this episode and take a listen now. So today we'll be discussing the final step, as we said, which is tailor. So this is all about tailoring your approach to each case and to each owner. I wonder, Mark, what does tailor mean to you?
1: Yeah, well, I guess we've got through four of these podcasts without, we have. without actually touching on when to start treatment.
0: That's very true. Maybe an oversight on our part.
1: Not at all. <laughs> not at all. But I think, you know, it's, it's really important that we, we think about when are we going to start medication? And I've said all the way along that there's no hard and fast rules. So that's why you never read something that says you must start medication at this point. There is guidance out there, but... Some people say if a dog has two seizures within a six-month period, that would be a reason to start medication. And that's true. You know, that would be a reason, but it doesn't mean you have to. And it doesn't mean you necessarily need to recommend that. It's a case of discussing with that owner what they want to do. And I will have owners that will want to start medication very, very early on in the course of epilepsy. But if they understand that starting medication early may mean we've got less Options in the future and holding off may be better while the epilepsy isn't too severe, then that's fine too. Now, the big thing to talk about here is kindling. So, there's this word kindling, and all kindling means it's the idea that one seizure might lead to another seizure. Right. So, if a dog has a fit, it's more likely to have another fit in the future. And the more fits it has, the more fits it's likely to have later on. Makes sense. So the idea is that if we start medication and can stop the fits, then it's less likely to progress into a more severe seizure situation down the line. So I'm arguing with myself right now, because it's, you know, do we start it early and try and prevent that kindling effect, or do we hold off medication and maybe wait till further down the line? Clearly there's no right answer, but I yeah. think if an owner knows that and knows that's the situation that we face, that's the dilemma, and then we can decide what to do so each dog and certainly each owner really needs a bespoke approach to yeah. epilepsy i've mentioned it before but dogs with objection postictal signs maybe that's the reason to start medication earlier my approach probably is to say if a dog has one seizure i don't start medication because we do know there are dogs out there where they may only ever have one fit yeah. and we don't know why but it never happens again so let's not condemn that dog to a life of medication. But as soon as we're dealing with two or more fits, then medication is reasonable. My approach is maybe two fits in a six-week period. might be me pushing more towards medication than steering away from it. Right. But as I say, it really, really depends on the owner. And they're the ones who are going to make the decision
0: Yeah.
1: and decide what to do. So for me, that's what tailor means. It's about yeah. sitting down and having that conversation and making sure that owner gets the management that's right for their situation.
0: Is there any situations in which it's definitely recommended to start treatment?
1: Yeah, there definitely are. I mean, I suppose we can list off quite a few. Some are obvious, of course. So a dog with status epilepticus or with severe cluster seizures. Yeah. I think there's no doubt there that we'd all be in agreement that medication is the right thing to do. One thing I'd, I'd pick up on there briefly, while I think of it is status epilepticus we did talk about giving diazepam in an earlier podcast and how we can use that to treat epilepsy but I'd always want to say don't ever get confused that diazepam isn't really treating seizures in a long-term way yeah. it's helping in that moment in that emergency situation so if you do have a dog in status and you give diazepam and you're fortunate enough that things work and, and uh, the seizures have stopped definitely definitely start a long-term anti-epileptic I medication see. I have known dogs where that's not been done and inevitably it has fits at a later date. So status epilepticus, start medication. We've also talked about whenever you find an underlying disease, we want to start medication. You know, so you've got a disease underlying the fits. It may or may not be treatable, but whichever one it is, we still want to give medication to try and prevent further seizures because they're always going to be damaging in their own way. So that's another reason. If you've got, severe postictal signs so aggression or a dog that really takes a very long time to recover from a fit that's another reason to start yeah. the medication and simply things like multiple seizures in a in a short period of time maybe they only have them every eight to 12 weeks but when they have them they're bad well there's another circumstance where we might think about treating
0: yeah, yeah. but
1: if you're if you've been monitoring a dog over some time and you haven't started medication, but then they are getting a bit more frequent, steadily. Again, I'd be moving more towards the treatment than away from it. So, sort of increased frequency of seizures is another time to to actually give the medication.
0: Yeah. So, like you said, it sounds like there's not one right or wrong answer to this. So, yes, there's definitely some situations. But I wanted to pick up, if I can, that other cases that maybe warrant a little bit more of a specific approach or a different approach put it that way one thing I want to pick up on is the clustering dog so it's not infrequent for me anyway (laughs) I don't know whether I was unlucky in practice to have a case where I had started them on phenobarbital for instance and then they won't have seizures for weeks or months and then suddenly they will have kind of four or more over usually a weekend when we're not there. <laughs> yes, yeah. So how do you manage those? Do you put them on a second line or I would just be interested in your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I suppose it depends what they're on already, but I mean, I suppose these dogs maybe are already on phenobarbital and they may or may not be on bromide. So, you know, we can think about putting in bromide, but the clusters, I mean, that's where drugs such as levtrastam are really helpful. So levtrastam is a very rapidly, well, a drug that works very rapidly. It yeah. comes, it gets into the body and it works quickly. So within sort of 24, 48 hours, you've got a really reasonable dose of that drug in the system trying to prevent seizures. So in your situation where you've got a dog with a very long period of quiescence, if you like, no, no seizures, no fits and the dog's well, and then it has say 48 hour period of lots of seizures, let's say in double figures. What you can do is after that first fit in the potential cluster, I would start levetiracetam, and I'd give it three times a day during that period until we know that the likelihood of those seizures has passed by so i go quite high with the dose i mean the standard dose for lev Trastam is about 20 mix per kg three times a day but in that circumstance i'd happily go up to 30 mix per kg three times a day partly because you're in a situation where the owner really doesn't want to see the fits so they probably will allow or or accept i should say the, the side effects that would come with that slightly higher right. dose of levetiracetam. Yeah. So I'd go 30 mg per kg and I'd do it for double the length of the cluster. What I mean by that is if we know from historically this dog will cluster over a 48-hour period, then I'll maybe do do the cluster the levetiracetam dose over 4 days. Yeah. Hopefully to be sure we've then got rid of the cluster they've gone and then we we take the dog off medication and see how things go. A big advantage of that is people talk about levitrostam having The honeymoon effect?
0: Yeah, I've heard. I was going to ask you actually about that. Do you agree with that? It's something that gets banded around, is not it?
1: I think it's a lot less common than people say. Okay. I think it does happen because it's come from somewhere and we've seen evidence of it in dogs. But it's not that common. So I've heard people using the honeymoon effect as an excuse not to start levotorostam. So I wouldn't do that. It's absolutely an option out there and it's one of my favoured medications to do in epilepsy. So yes, I'd always use it. But we have to be open to the fact that if we are giving it three times a day, every day, a tolerance may develop. So pulse dosing with these clusters is a, is a great way of trying to avoid that. But if you need to give it persistently, then do, because that's what we're going to have to do for the dog. So that's my approach there.
0: Yeah. So does I'm just curious, does tolerance say, I don't know why it's more described of levetiracetam, but does it happen to the other drugs as well, do we think? Or is it more just epilepsy progression underneath? Yeah.
1: I mean, there's a kind of tolerance, I guess, with phenobarbital, because we talked about it, that idea of auto-induction, yeah. where the the body gets used to that dose of phenobarbital, and we have to increase the dose accordingly. So so with levotiracetam, it's not got that auto-induction, but it just, even if you go higher with the doses, you just don't get the effect from it that you would want to get. So so yeah. levotiracetam is a bit unique in that way.
0: Yeah. No, Fair enough. There's potentially you mentioned actually before cases where you might want to introduce two drugs at one time if we don't want to load them so this i realize is going a little bit against what we talked about earlier and following those levels of recommendation but again this is just tailoring that approach isn't it really so if you could just tell our listeners what you were talking to me about that would be
1: great yeah i guess you, you can have a situation where you've got a dog that's had repeated seizures and is on phenobarbital and it's used effectively we always have to say that you know we've got the right just concentration. Check that <laughs> absolutely always please please exploit phenobarbital before you move on to a second drug but you may have done that and the dog still has frequent seizures and for argument's sake let's say it has three seizures no no let's say it has two seizures per week now the owner still feels that's not acceptable control and that's fine you know they have they have a right to want to get better control than that Yeah. So what do you do there? I mean, according to the cascade, we should probably add in potassium bromide. But what we've said already is potassium bromide takes three months to work. So if we give it at the standard maintenance dose, we're going to be waiting three months until it has a, a reasonable effect. Now, it may work earlier than that may reduce frequency slowly over that three months, but we are waiting three months for full control with the bromide or full effect, I should say, of the bromide. Yeah. Now you could then go well let's load the bromide let's let's give it much more quickly let's load it over two weeks perhaps so we we don't want to give an, a massive dose straight away but maybe over a two-week period but the problem there is you're still going to get a lot of adverse effects and that owner may yeah. not be happy with that that you're right there, you're going to be left with a dog that's very very wobbly and falling all over the place and all right maybe the fits are better controlled maybe it's now only seizuring once a week but it's got quite a a poor lifestyle in between. So its quality of life is diminished. So what I do there is I wouldn't have a worry with actually starting the bromide at a maintenance dose. So say your standard 20, maybe up to 30 mg per gig once a day. But because they want a quick fix on the seizures, we can add in levotrastam at the same time at the standard dose of 20 mg per gig three times a day. And what you're doing is you're giving levotrastam for a short period of time up until the bromide reaches steady state. So I'd keep it going, the levetiracetam and the bromide, for three months. I'd check the blood levels of the bromide at three months. And if you've achieved the therapeutic concentration with the bromide, I'd then stop the levetiracetam. We've talked about stopping anti-epileptic medications and being cautious of it, but with levitrastam, it is safe to stop it straight away.
0: Okay, I was going to ask that. Too.
1: Without too much of the risk of withdrawal seizures. So because there's not that auto-induction, it's yeah. the auto-induction that means with phenobarbital, we have to be a lot more worried.
0: Yeah. So in that situation, why don't you just start them on and keep them on levetiracetam?
1: And the reason I wouldn't do that is because it's a nice drug to have down the line. Yes. This dog's still got relatively infrequent fits. And I think, yes, it's not wrong to do levetiracetam, but it's fair to say it's against the cascade. That shouldn't be a problem. You know, you've got a good reason to do it. But I think levotiracetam is one of those drugs that, it's, you know, it's nice to add later on because you're going to get a good beneficial effect from it. And we know bromide works. We know it has a good sustained long-term control and generally it has few side effects. So it's my preferred choice. It's the disadvantage being we just have to wait longer, but that's fine. You know, we've, we've got the option of waiting longer. And if you, if you did do levotoracetam and then the dog seizures worsened, which they inevitably will do, we haven't got anything to add in to try and help the bromide work. So get the bromide on the scene as soon as you can, is my view there, whilst you've still got time and other options to, to add in.
0: saving stuff for later
1: (laughs) absolutely absolutely. because then
0: you've not really got anything that works that quickly
1: no no i mean after that you've got all the other medications like gabapentin and zanisamide they might work quickly in terms of they reach steady state quickly but they don't work well okay so you're absolutely right there aren't alternatives to add in that would help
0: yeah yeah no that's fair enough the other kind of cases that i wanted to pick up from this as well is The use of anti-epileptic drugs to control seizures of other causes. So I, I have to think about seizures as they're just like a symptom or a clinical sign at the end of the day. So there may be manifestations from other diseases. So some of the questions we get through the tech lines, for instance, I just pick up an example being hepatic encephalopathy. So there's cases where obviously they're treating. As appropriate, that hepatic encephalopathy, perhaps, but they obviously want to control any seizures. Obviously, the prognosis for the dog may be poor. I appreciate that. But if they are looking to treat those seizures, what's obviously we won't want to be using phenobarbital in that situation. So, what sort of recommendations would you use for that?
1: Well, I think again, it comes back to whenever you've got seizures. There's nothing wrong with managing the seizures. And you're right, they are a clinical sign. It's not a disease in itself. So in the scenario where you've got a dog with severe liver disease and hepatic encephalopathy, it's still right to treat those seizures. We want to be giving something for that. And it's where you've got to then sort of split the medications a bit, because generally speaking, they're metabolized by the liver or they're excreted by the kidneys. So in that scenario, you're better off going down the ones that are renally excreted because they're much safer in those patients. And that leaves very few, but yes, we've got bromide and we've got levotrastam. Yeah. Clearly, this is a dog that we want quick benefit from. So bromide yeah. isn't ideal as a choice. And it would mean levotrastam is a good one to use. So any dog with liver shunts, acquired shunts, hepatic encephalopathy, levotrastam is a fantastic choice. And even those dogs that have surgical correction of their shunts, now goodness, I'm going off to things that I don't talk about much, but, <laughs> but even in that scenario, when they have breakthrough, breakthrough seizures, you know, adding a liver time at that stage is, is a very sensible option to do. And maybe if you fix the problem, fix the liver's problem, if it is a fixable cause, you can stop them again in the future, but it's just to yeah. get them through that time. Yeah. And then you've got dogs that maybe have, well, can I mention cats? Of
0: course you can mention cats. We haven't hardly talked about them at all, so please mention cats.
1: <laughs> well, cats, sort of thinking hypertension, because I think people forget high blood pressure is enough to cause seizures. And I say cats because it's more common in them. It doesn't mean it it does happen in dogs too, but it's just more commonly a a presenting sign in cats. So you can do a full epileptic workup on a cat and use many of the rules I've I've explained for dogs. I mean, the same things apply. But high blood pressure can cause what we call a hypertensive encephalopathy, and that can then cause seizures. So in those circumstances, again, it's very reasonable to treat the seizures. Now, you might want to sort out the blood pressure and it would take a medic to take you through that rather than myself.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, I thought you were going off onto <laughs> your medicine again then.
1: <laughs> well, so, so, you know, you definitely want to get the blood pressure down through whatever means, but giving an anti-epileptic medication there is very appropriate. And yeah, you can use levotoracetam, but then phenobarbital comes back into the picture because hopefully there's no liver disease and it's a reasonable drug to choose.
0: Yeah. So you can use levotoracetam in cats, obviously off license, but they Absolutely. tolerate it well.
1: And they do, and, and cats in general. I mean, like, yes, we have to f- sort of, there isn't really a great cascade for cats. Well, well, there, isn't, there aren't many licensed choices, I should say, so we have to go down the cascade and look at what we do in dogs. Yeah. So for cats, really, phenobarbital is, is a great drug to use. It's a good yeah. first-line approach, works well. We completely avoid bromide from cats. So yeah, we wouldn't be giving bromide in cats because they get the allergic pneumonitis. And then levotrastam, great. You know, it works. And dare I say it, the problem with levotrastam in cats we do, we are meant to give it three times a day. Now, I would never do this approach that I'm about to say in dogs, but in cats, you can maybe get away with giving it twice a day. Okay. It does seem to work in, in many, of those, okay. many of those patients. Dogs, always three times a day. I've known twice a day dosing in dogs to make seizures worse. Yeah. But cats, we seem to okay. be able to get away with it.
0: Interesting that it makes seizures worse. Well,
1: yeah. it seems to be that it's there and it's helping, but then as, as the dose drops away before right. that second dose, there's just this period when seizures can actually come back through. So- I have seen breakthrough seizures from dogs given twice daily to have trust right. rather than three times daily. And people might be thinking, well, you know, is it all right to start twice daily and up to three times daily, but I wouldn't. I'd, I'd always go three times a day with trust help.
0: Yeah. And you've just given me another idea actually. So there's some places that talk about using phenobarbital three times a day. Yeah. What do you think about that? I feel like I've just opened a can of worms you didn't want to answer. No, no. <laughs> um,
1: well, so, the
0: look that he gave me, by the way, everyone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so we start phenobarbital twice a day. The idea is you take a peak and a trough serum concentration. And I mentioned much earlier on in this series that you don't, you don't do that, just be consistent. But if you're thinking, this dog's really poorly controlled, is there scope to go to three times a day dosing with phenobarbital? I'd do a peak and a trough level. And then you can go to find a, a, a special formula if you like that's it's on many websites you can look up what the what the half-life is for phenobarbital in that particular dog using the equation and it will tell you whether it is actually appropriate to go to three times a day so dividing three times rather than twice a day with medication and that that can work
0: that does sound complicated though
1: and i don't want to go into it because it will bore people
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's fine i'm going very off piste and probably very off license for phenobarbital now but i'm wondering just literally come to my head if you have a clustering dog, can you give, uh, that's on phenobarbital twice a day, can you like add in another phenobarbital in the middle of the day at times they cluster?
1: So I'd, I'd only do that when we've done the serum concentration. Right. Okay. So the the, the the possibility, yes, possibly you might be able to do it, but the the, the serum concentrations and trough will help with that. I suppose... I'm, it's made me think of the situation where you've got a dog in status that comes in that's already on phenobarbital. Yeah. And I've given you great tips in, in the previous episodes about how to, I say they're great, maybe they're not great, maybe they weren't helpful.
0: <laughs> Blowing his own whistle there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I've given tips on, on how we give the phenobarbital in that situation. But if, if it's a dog already on phenobarbital, then you're a bit stuck. So what I do is I still give that initial loading dose of 4 mgs per kg of phenobarbital IV, But then you're going to have to look to another medication to give. And that could be levotoracetam. Maybe you can get away with giving it orally if the dog's just kind of coming round from the fits. But if it's actively seizuring, you'd have to go for intravenous levotoracetam. Pretty expensive. Right. Or you can load bromide. And what you can do there is you work out your loading dose using everything I've described in the previous episode. So 600 mg per kg in total divided over however many days. You get the tablets. And you might not be able to give them orally, but what you can actually do is crush them up, mix them with water and actually give them rectally. So you give them through a urinary catheter, oh, wow. okay. put up the bum and then you, you can inject it. So it's a way of getting a loading dose of bromide into the dog that's otherwise fitting and can't take oral medication. So that can also work, but it's very messy.
0: Yeah. What is with neurologists and putting everything up the bum?
1: I didn't think we put anything else up the bum. Oh, we do. Let's not talk about that. You
0: do rectal diazepam and everything. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you ever
1: seen the insert on rectal diazepam?
0: Yes, I have. Yeah, and let's just leave that there, shall we? We'll just leave everyone with that image. We mentioned it in a previous podcast that I don't want people with epileptic dogs to think that this is a life sentence. Like this is quite with. <laughs> Maybe we were trying to make it simple with some of these podcasts. We can do this and that and you can follow these guidelines. But I feel like we've undone that on this podcast. We've just gone, yeah, you can use all these different combinations and things. But this can feel obviously quite overwhelming for us, but obviously quite overwhelming for the owners as well at the end of the day. Just wanted to go back to them really, because it's obviously tailing the approach. Yes, for that patient. But if we remember also for that owner. So I don't know whether you had any words on that one.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess we need to remind ourselves that epileptic dogs are still normal patients. There's no pain associated with the condition. Dogs that suffer a seizure will recover most of the time. It's very rare to have sudden death from seizures. It's not impossible, but it's very rare. So they should recover, and they may be a bit disorientated or confused, but they're otherwise okay. So that's important. I think when you get an owner come in with a dog with these seizures, It really depends on how bad the seizures are, but you'll often get an owner come in at their wits end. Yeah. And I've always said that you need to give owners all of the options. Now, this is a bit miserable to bring this up, but I think it is important that one of those options is euthanasia. And it's wrong not to discuss euthanasia with the owners, because you will get some owners that when you enter that discussion, they actually, they almost breathe a sigh of relief to go, oh, that's an option I hadn't realized. Yeah because they may see it as a a cruel thing to do for their dog you know why am i am i doing it for for me putting my dog to sleep because i don't want to see it anymore but if if it's really impacting on your quality of life too it's not wrong to consider euthanasia if it's that frequent and that bad so i've known of owners i've met where their dog will have several fits a day and they're still going going with it for their pet to try and give them the best quality of life, life possible yeah but I remember one individual in particular, and when I mentioned to her, you know, euthanasia is an option, she broke down in tears. And I thought I'd upset her, but no, she was really, really relieved oh, to hear her. it. And so there are owners out there that have that feeling that they just want someone to say it is an option. And it's always an option. It becomes more a consideration as things worsen, of course. But if, if you speak about that, and even at the very first consult, now this, this is And I think, but right at the first consult, mentioning that euthanasia is something you'll likely have to consider in the future if it gets bad, it prepares them. So when that day comes, it's not a huge shock. Yeah. Now, hopefully, that's years away. And and really, hopefully, it's something they may never even need to consider. But we have to be upfront about this. And it's the thing that's not always talked about with epilepsy. We don't mention euthanasia enough. And I think, yes, don't mention it every time they come in. (laughs) That's not the right way to go. But it needs putting in at the right time. So that owners know that if you've mentioned it, they won't feel bad bringing it up at the time when they feel it's right for them.
0: And That's absolutely what I was going to pick up on is that I think owners don't want to mention it a lot of the time or talk about it because they feel guilty mm-hmm. for bringing it up and feel like they're the ones making the ultimate decision when it actually, it should be it, all of this, right? We're, this is everything that we're saying. It should be a team approach between us all so we just need to have those open discussions and allow them to voice how they're feeling yeah and everything. make sure
1: that they don't feel like they're being cruel or selfish yeah because they're not they're yeah. not you know you, they need to understand that
0: absolutely absolutely although on the flip side of that hopefully it's sometimes i had clients come in the very first time with a seizure and they go that's it that's it it's the day i'm having my dog put to sleep and i'm no it's not no we can try something first <laughs> so it's just the flip side of that as well um, it's true
1: especially with something like status because actually if you mention euthanasia in the first consult of a status then that will be elected for and of course that's not the right thing yeah so it's important to know when to bring it up and whether it's correct to bring it up immediately but it is a discussion that needs to be had at some point yeah but you're absolutely right it's it, that's that's it's like the art of veterinary medicine we always say isn't it really it? is it, it's not clear cut. we're scientists and we have to try and negotiate the right thing with these people. And it's very difficult.
0: Yeah. And all of us get into this to treat the animals and we're here treating the owners and counseling the owners at the end of the day.
1: Yes, yes. And then drinking at the end of the day ourselves because that's the way to cope with it.
0: <laughs> okay, let's try and end on a more positive note. I feel like it went really deep there and quite ethical questions, wasn't it? I just want to finish off. Is there, if you could say or give one piece of advice or words of wisdom to us, GP vets, in clinical practice, what would it be?
1: Yeah, that's a really tough one. So throughout these podcasts, I'd like to think you were carrying around sort of certain patients in your head. There are probably certain dogs, cats, guinea pigs that might come in with, with epilepsy and, and you, you really, you almost dread seeing those owners because you're kind of like, well, I feel I've done so much. What more can I do? So I think the main message I'd want to give across is in those situations with those cases that are dogs that are very difficult to manage. I'd really want to reassure you that you're doing nothing wrong. There may be some tips you've picked up here that might help in the management and that's great. And I I hope that's the case that there's a bit more you can do there to help, but you've not done anything wrong. It's not you failing as a vet. It's because you're dealing with a very difficult condition that we would all struggle to cope with. So don't be afraid when you have those cases that are going badly, it's not you, it's the dog. And that's that's how I sort of summarize it.
0: That's really reassuring actually to hear. (laughs) help quell all of us. Thank you, Mark. This series has been really brilliant. I've learned so much and it really has just helped to discuss some of these things that often are forgotten aspects of epilepsy management. Note I'm saying management now, not treatment. So you've taught me something. I do definitely hold my hands up and say that sometimes I used to get stuck in the numbers. And I think I said this in the very first episode, actually, that Whether that be looking at serum concentrations, the biochemistry, those liver enzymes, the seizure numbers, and I just forget to just take that step back and look at that bigger picture. So that's probably the most important part I was missing though. I really could sit here all day discussing the nuances of epilepsy management with you, but just a reminder to our listeners, this was the fifth and final part of our series on the SMART approach. So if you haven't already, please do check out the previous episodes for more information. We would also be really grateful if you could tell us what you think of these, if they've taken off and people do enjoy these, we would be more than happy to get back together and to keep having these podcasts and discussions if that's what you would like. Equally, if you want to email us at TVM or if you want to get in contact with Mark, I'm sure he would be happy with that. He's based at Movement Referrals. And if there's any areas of epilepsy you would like us to do some podcasts on that maybe we haven't covered, then equally, please do feel free to give us some information, give us some ideas. So hopefully we'll see you again soon. Thanks again so much, Mark.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: Perfect. Thanks so much, guys. Bye.
1: Bye Bye-bye.